Welcome aboard. This is Comparing Apples to Oranges, the podcast where we take two things that are in the same category, that don't belong in the same genre, and using a special set of criteria designed for this episode, tell you which one's better. It's Dan. He's back. Hi. And uh, it's me. It's Mike. Hey, we're back. Guess who's back? Back again. It's Mike and Dan. I told them, Dan. They already guessed. They oh, guessed this, is the, this is the sports podcast, right? I, yeah. I've been doing a lot of podcasts lately, so it's hard to kind of keep everything straight. Yeah. I'm supposed to talk about, uh, like, English Premier Soccer or something like that? Uh, this was going to be um, Australian Cricket, but... Mm. Can, Sticky Wicket? But if you ask me, it's all the same. Yeah, it is. It's sports, baby. What are you sipping on, Michael? Um, it's an American rye. It's got mm. a it's a blue bottle. It's good stuff. I uh, I have agua today because I have to get my sixty four ounces in, so I don't get uh, debilitating kidney stones again. <laughs> Not anymore. No, you can have uh, you can have uh, light, um, clear alcohols, right? But you're just not about it. Mm-hmm. Uh, I want to I want to do my best this show because uh, I'm my my mantra now is to bring the heat. Okay, I believe and, that's a uh, sports reference, though. Yeah, yeah, I'm going to bring the heat. Okay, and uh, I'm also going to go strong to the hole. Are you going to dunk on some fools? Are you going to go hard in the paint? <laughs> I just may. I, I just may. Can you let me know when that's going to happen? Yeah, I'll <laughs> okay, let you know. Cool. I was like, here it comes. If you want to just text me ahead of time or yep. whatever, that'd be great. Mike, in, in T minus five minutes, I will be going hard in said paint. <laughs> that's that's dynamite. That's great. Somebody needs what to bring the, the. What the hell are we talking about? Got to bring the energy. It's live albums. Oh, We're so less... everything we've been saying for the last five minutes, like really, applies. Dan, Dan, the joy of the show is for both the hosts and the guests and the listeners. We don't really have guests. I guess it's just hosts and listeners. Uh, to enjoy the journey where we find out lots of stuff is connected in a lot of ways. So, And it's usually connected to my dad in some way. In some comical way because he's a caricature of a real person. I mean, like, you were talking about... And, I, and I'm sure this show will have some ties English the, the live albums. English premiere uh, football and David Bowie, one of our uh, guys... Both from Britain, bro. Mm-hmm. All right. Mm-hmm. Uh, they are things that started in the UK that made their way through popularity uh, to be to have an uh, enormous amount of fans uh, for live performances. I like that tie-in. Nice connection. I've been working the best in the business. The only it's the only thing I try and do with this show is like, hey, that's connected to this. Let's uh, mm-hmm. let's see where it goes. Oh wow, you know. Oh oh. My wow. connections are are much more forced. I'm like, uh, speaking of herpes. Uh, go ahead. No, finish that connection. <laughs> oh, I get, that's all I got. Finish the connection. <laughs> go in the paint now. I'm sure David Bowie had some kind of STD. He might have created oh, one, but it like made right. people smarter. I'm sure half the Beach Boys with all the broads they were uh, slaying. So let's let's get a little blue for. I mean, we're already there. Do you think that you would be more inclined to engage in? You know, casual sex with uh, groupies. 
if you toured with your brothers and cousin? Or do you think that would disincline you? Kind of, I, I'm, I kill, so, kill the vibe a little bit. <laughs> so I'm, I'm, I'm sorry that like this is a very uncomfortable question for Dan, who is musically talented and has an enormous amount of brothers. So like, <laughs> like I, uh, I don't, I don't the, know. Man. The love and rhino full, or you know, I'm trying to think, or the, the, the four, uh, flat tops, because you guys would all get a flat top haircut. Yeah. Like, yeah. The traveling handsome Rhino brothers. Like, do you think that? Like, I, I think it would kind of kill the vibe if my family was there. Honestly, I think it's because you guys are like decent folk. Like, I'm really worried about. <laughs> I'm worried about those Jonas brothers and what they got into with their chastity <laughs> rings. You know? Yep. They're all like, "Hey, we have to get married at the same time." You're like, "Hmm, a little too <laughs> suspicious, gentlemen." Not like yep. the, not like uh, Hanson. Well, you oh, know, hey. geniuses are always a. Uh... Geniuses are always troubled in some way, as we will talk about in in this episode with uh, some of the uh, the main players. Yeah, I got a couple. I got a couple uh, side stories that Ooh, I've a little hot anecdotes. Yeah, the dish. I don't know if they're anecdotes because I don't. So I guess uh, so. We did the Beach Boys and David Bowie, and the two um, albums we listened to. I'm gonna pull them up real quick. Because, uh, okay, so we got live at, is it Nassau? Is that how mm-hmm. it, Coliseum uh, 76 is David Bowie's live album. It's the Coliseum in New York. Which I believe the Nassau Coliseum, I think it's actually in, I thought it was actually in New Jersey. It's like, I thought it was one of those things where they have, uh, like the New York Giants and the New York Jets actually play in East Rutherford, New Jersey. Uh, I thought I, if, if I'm not mistaken, I think Nassau Coliseum might be in New Jersey, and I think it's still there. Cause, and the reason I know that, my anecdotal uh, reference here, is that it's a big wrestling building. Oh, I mean that tracks. Uh, so that's our um, David Bowie album, and then we got Graduation Day, uh, 1990, 19, oh, 1966 live album by the Beach Boys, which was um, when they recorded at the University of Michigan. So that's kind of fun. Go Wolverines. Yeah, or not. Who cares? <laughs> um, so the Beach Boys was recorded in 66, but released in uh, 2016. Mm-hmm. And then our boy uh, Bowie was recorded in 76, um, part of the Isolar World Tour. Is that how you is that how you would pronounce it? I couldn't. I I figured it was too too uh, early for like the iRobot and the iPhone, so I figured it was it probably wasn't iSolar, <laughs> unless he was a big you know tech oh, man. visionary. Are, are you ready? Uh, so this was released in uh, originally 2010 as part of like the deluxe edition of Station to Station. But then released separately in 2017. So these are pretty recent re-releases, which is why they sound like so good, and we got them digitally. Okay, Dan. So great question about Isolar. Uh, according to biographer Nicholas Pegg, the word Isolar is an anagram of sailor, one of Bowie's favorite words. Isolar also derives from the company Bowie launched to handle music publishing after his acrimonious split with Main Man Publishing. Bowie himself later clarified, Isola is Italian for island. Isolation 
plus solar equals isolar. If I remember correctly, I was stoned. So, <laughs> just like there's a star man waiting <laughs> in the sky. He'd like to come and meet us, but he'd think he'd blow our minds. I'm so excited to talk about these two because, honestly, honestly, God, David Bowie and the Beach Boys are two of my favorite musical acts of all time. That's because they like form a foundation of what has become modern pop and modern rock and then everything in between. I am uh, chagrined to tell you, Dan, I am not. Uh, I was not a David Bowie fan because I just never heard him. I never listened to him. I listened to Queen's uh, Under Pressure, and I'm sure I had heard changes in a handful of commercials, but I just never sat down and, you know, listened to the guy. He's, I was so pleasantly surprised that I don't have to be one of those people who's like, Bowie's not really for me. Like, Mm -hmm. I'd be really worried if I'm like, oh, you know, like, foundational rock and roll, I just don't like it. Because there are people who are probably critical... Like, a lot of people are like, oh, the Beatles are overrated. You're like, that's never the issue. Right. Like, but do you like the music they make? And if well, you're like... yeah, it's catchy. You're yeah. like, no. You're like, then you haven't listened to that album one that's just 30 number one hits. Like, right. you don't even need to get deep diving. Or you just haven't... And there's a lot of... I was, when I was taking notes on this, there was a lot of parallels between Bowie, the Beach Boys, and the Beatles. Yeah. And the fact that... They totally change their presentations and change their sound. In Bowie's case, like every three years. Apparently, that's what the t- song "Changes" was all about. Changes. It's great. It was he. He felt like he had to, in order to stay relevant, he had to not only change his style of music, but even change his persona. Like when he was doing the Ziggy Stardust stuff for a while. And then he was, uh, what was the other, like the Thin... Thin uh, White Duke. Thin White Duke, yes. <laughs> and he would he would change like into like a, a, whole, a whole different person almost. And, you know, the Beach Boys with, with this album, this was the tour that was promoting Pet Sounds. Yep. Which was... Basically, like the exact moment in time when they stopped becoming a surfer band, and they had to either evolve or die off. Yeah. And they ended up producing Pet Sounds, which at Rolling Stone ranked as the number two album of all time, only behind uh, uh, What's Going On by Marvin Gaye, I think. So the Beatles did that too. You know, they, they were doing like the, you know, She Loves You, I Want to Hold Your Hand, and then they the rubber soul came out and that was kind of like the definitive Beatles album for a long time. And then everybody like has their, their favorite Beatles album. And for a lot of people, it's Sergeant Pepper's Lonely Hearts Club band, which is totally different than anything else they had, had done before. And Abbey Road and let it be are also different than, than each other as well. So the fact that the Beatles saw that they needed to evolve probably for not just to stay relevant but also to stay motivated i think i would in in order to produce and to continue to want to produce music the amount of touring these guys were doing 
like you can talk about you're like oh yeah the life you know life of the rock star must be awesome you're like yeah but you still have to do like an two hour set every day plus rehearsal plus you know like hundreds of days a year yeah well just like you have to like you have to be able to sing every day Mm -hmm. and like if you do a bad job people will boo you and hate you forever like it's and i think you bring up a good point evolve is the right word like they also just needed to stop singing the songs that originally made them popular because they did not feel connected to those in a lot of ways And I think, like, the Beatles are a really good example because they're, like, they made such a drastic change. Where, like, the Beach Boys, like, they, they're they like, we have to stop talking about, like, a, a car and surfing. Mm-hmm. We, have we have to. to stop. We have, especially the surfing, we have to stop. Because apparently, in one of the fun facts I found, only one of the Beach Boys actually knew how to surf. Well, Dan, if you see the cover of most of their albums, they're just holding one big board. <laughs> like, this is how we do it, right? Nope. <laughs> but they, they acted like they knew like what they were doing, hanging Ted out there. But when you're talking about surfing, you're, you're appealing to such a, a small part of the population. <laughs> yes, but like I could also argue like, you know, Billabong and Quicksilver clothing companies or, like, Van Shoes, like, only appeal to certain demographics, but they are incredibly popular because, like, it's easy to slap that on as a personality type. Because mm-hmm. it comes with, like, oh, like, I'm all about, you know, like, sunshine and, like, hanging out and chasing girls. Like, that's a cool lifestyle. You're like, you, uh, obviously, you don't need to be talented with a board. <laughs> Got to, <laughs> uh, you don't have to shred just on the guitar. Or not. Yeah, not really either. So. <laughs> um, I, I like how you brought up how connected they are, but I do want to, this is, I always like doing this, to list the actual designation of the genre, according to Wikipedia, of, which one do you want me to read first, David Bowie <laughs> or, you know what, why don't I read it and you see if you can guess. Okay, I'm a, it's always something that's like, uh, uh, Neo uh, political uh, gentrification pop or something, something like that. I'm like, what does that mean? Yeah, it's Michael. A, it's lo-fi slowdown shoegaze Manchester. It's like everybody's like, yeah, duh, yeah, idiot. It's a very listen pop- to an album. It's a very big niche. You're like, that's not what those words mean. No, no it's okay. a huge niche. We got a uh, we got rock, pop, yeah. psychedelia. Surf. I don't know if you heard the last one. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, I'm, with Surf, I'm going to have to go with Bowie. He was a, <laughs> but so he like, shred. But we got art rock, pop, experimental, electronic, glam rock. You're like, damn. Yeah, glam rock. Yep. Got him. Yep. Got him. I'm glad he's not like... I. So when I, th- when I sat down to listen to it, I, uh, David Bowie's album i expected it to just be experimental like art rock where it's just like like a lot of mm-hmm. you know and like just a lot of strange vocals because i've heard a lot of his you know the his progeny the people that were inspired by him who are like he's the reason i got into music i didn't know music could be like this and i'm gonna go weird with it which is like 
that belongs there because it brings everything in a different direction. It's not we're not always going to be in the middle if there are these weirdos on the side, and that's great. Um, but I couldn't believe how like hard rocking it was. Like how like the like the drum, the electric guitar, like the electric bass were coming in, and like you could it was so energized. And I'm like, dang, this is this is some good hard like if a band did half as much like rocking as station to station when they came on which is like was it like eight nine minutes long like if they could well that's awesome like if they could do some of that then like i would have we wouldn't have to talk about the state of rock and roll today you know but but then he did do some weird stuff like he was talking about Mm -hmm. thin white duke that's weird Mm -hmm. i don't know Mm -hmm. there's no other way to talk about it besides that yeah, Bowie's a guy that you talked about him being an an influence on on so many people. He was, you know, one of the first real prominent like androgynous, you know, guys. The guy people that were weren't afraid to like show like feminine, you know, masculinity. Uh, uh, weren't afraid to, you know, uh, uh, like I said, be be more. Uh, rather than one side or the other kind of like total line in the middle. And, you know, you would have to think that like a guy like Prince was like, uh, influenced by that. Um, you know, and cause you know, greatness begets greatness. And he was, but Bowie was one of the, the first guys that, that really, uh, went mainstream with that. And, you know, th- this was back in the, you know, back in the time, like in the, in the 60s when I saw something where he, where Bowie was like the, the head of some organization in, uh, England about like the mistreatment of, uh, people with, young people with long hair. It was like people were getting treated like complete garbage. Because they had shoulder-length hair, and think about you know where our world is and the progress we made since then, and it's people like David Bowie who weren't afraid to embrace that before everybody else decided they weren't afraid to embrace it. Yeah, he was way ahead of the curve as far as that goes. And I think a lot of that. Maybe maybe a lot of that stems from the fact that like he could bring the goods. Like, it's one of those things where like you always joke. You're like, hey man, I'm just here for the music, not for the just politics. Here for the tunes, baby. And it's like, it's thank God that like his politics were good. Where you, like, you know, close-minded assholes could be like, man, I really hate this guy. Like, he, you know, the whole rebel rebel song. What's that about? Like, girls dressing up as guys. Guys were just like, but man that song kicks a lot of ass. Like, you it know, does. it's like, that's the thing. It's like, you can't argue with a good song. Like you can argue with like, I always bring up Tom Cruise. Like, I don't want to be the guy's friend. He's a legitimate psychopath, but I will see every mission impossible all the time. <laughs> you know, there's no, there's nothing wrong with his movies. There's just something, talked, something wrong. We with talked that man. about, uh, we've talked about Prince before on this episode. Oh, yeah. and one of my favorites. And, you know, everybody, like, all these big tough guys back in the 80s were like, man, Prince is gay, man. Man, Prince, he's got to be, he's got to be gay. But, you know, 
though red Corvette's pretty good. <laughs> Dude, you know, I'm still, I'm still going to go to the concert, but yeah, they're like, his voice shouldn't be that high or that angelic. Like, yeah. like or that sultry. Why is he playing the guitar so good? Is it because he has Why is delicate he fingers? Me feel these feelings. Yeah, I think that's the that's the real thing. Is like people who are listening to it are like, uh oh, uh, t- what if what if time changes me? And they're like, oh no. <laughs> so yep. like, it's definitely not the same. But my aunt actually brought up the fact that like Harry Styles is, our like he's not our David Bowie, but he's one of those people who has all this sway and is deciding to do like positive things with it like he's not you know i'm sure there's all these like super like underground artists who are entirely like way more progressive but like if the lead singer i don't know if he's the if the guy from one direction who like has like three top one singles will do something like wear a dress like people have to talk about it mm-hmm. like you can't deny somebody like that like when you go to like a live show and like for a punk band and somebody's doing it you're like yeah i expected that to happen this is where you know you push the envelope this is where you flip expectations but like when you're on was it vogue or something like that like something big people are just like well i guess we have to we this is has to enter the conver- the national conversation now and, and he had he had to have been influenced by Bowie growing I mean, up. You know. he, he's a major musician, like, in pop culture now. Like, David Bowie, if he hadn't, like, he didn't die for his sins, but, like, he if mm-hmm. Bowie hadn't, like, played music, Harry Styles would have not. I mean, like... On he, might just, not, he might not exist. Who on knows? just the Beatles, you know? I don't think a lot of these boy bands would be anywhere. Like, they they needed something besides just the Beatles to become popular. Yeah, no doubt, no doubt. No, that's a. I think that's a Canadian girl band. Oh, I'm just a girl. Yeah, we'll have to do that <laughs> sometime because they've definitely gone through some chicha changes. Um, I think it's interesting that like David Bowie was. He, I mean, he was popular music. He's pop. That's the crazy thing. Mm-hmm. When he got so weird, kept it kept it popping. All right, um, the Beach Boys, oh boy, there's so much to them, because it, like, it's so easy to write them off because of, like, you know, it's, it's oldies, they're oldies, but then Mm -hmm. also just like, man, that, uh, that medley that they're doing, that's not bad, you know, Mm -hmm. and like, it's funny how much, like, how their song about driving around in their their coupe how that's like basically that's like an early rap rap song like it's like i got a fast car it's faster than yours super expensive it's like you know it's like you're standing still like i drive by all the girls are swooning like that's just like i've heard like 15 of those songs by rappers yeah, that's like regulate by yeah. warranty and nate duck <laughs> yeah that's what i was thinking too no like <laughs> ti actually has an entire song that's like about racing really fast and it's (laughs) and i because of the person not would i say ti i meant um oh damn it um no no who's the guy who was in i'm on a boat 
T no, not T I. T Pain. T Pain. Oh, I feel so sorry. I feel bad for both of them. It's T Pain. Uh, but T Pain has a song all about driving a car really fast. And I'm like, that's not dissimilar to this Beach Boy song, just 50 years later. But it's about the same thing, and that's so funny that that's still that like for all practical purposes, the Beach Boys were all about calling people out about their very fast car. Um, As one does. Who do you want to uh, dive into with your your Dan anecdotes? Your Dan anecdotes. Uh, let's, let's go with Bowie. All right. I, I got that paper on top. Let's go with Bowie. Oh, you you took I, some notes. I took some notes. Could baby. you go ahead and share the screen with me so I can read those real quick? <laughs> if I could just take a peek, just um, a little bit. And of course, uh, that's an inside joke that nobody else but Mike and I will get. And, and those are the best kind of jokes on a podcast that is available on all podcast platforms. If you wouldn't mind, uh, if you want to send me like a five dollars on Patreon or Venmo, I will let you know what the joke is. But what's your Venmo? Empty. You gotta send it. <laughs> I need to fill it up. Venmo bucks, boy. Venmo okay, you're bucks. up. All right. So we talked about the. Uh, well, I kind of wanted to when I was going through. Uh, the songs here I went back and I looked at what albums they came off of ooh look at you to kinda, that's to some kinda, serious homework yeah to kind of see how like what the the ratio was from one album to the next because you know my favorite David Bowie album of all time is the Ziggy Stardust album but I think there were only three songs from that album on uh, this live album that we're talking about. So, uh, Station to Station, which... Station to Station came out right before this uh, live album was recorded. So, it was probably, you know, in conjunction with, like, promotion for that album. So, of course, it opens with Station to Station, which is the, the name of the album. Uh, and then we also had uh, Word on a Wing from Station to Station and uh, TVC 15, and that's it. And then we had, uh, from the Ziggy Stardust album, we had Suffragette City. Uh, they closed the show with the, the Gene Genie, and I thought there was another one here. Uh, five Years off the Ziggy Stardust album. And then uh, off of Young Americans, there was Fame, and I think that was it. And then uh, a lot of songs off Hunky Dory, which is like one of my least favorite mm. uh, David Bowie albums. So they had Queen Bitch, Life on Mars, uh, Changes, and uh, that's it. And then we off Diamond Dogs, there was Rebel Rebel, Diamond Dogs, and off of, there was one song off of Aladdin Sane, which is another one of my least favorite David Bowie albums, which was Panic in Detroit. And then there was a, a Lou Reed cover, uh, Waiting for the Man. So uh, that was the breakdown. It was didn't pull from any one album in particular. Kind of was like two from this one, two from this one, two from this one. was pretty uh, even as far as uh, the distribution. And uh, when we talk about the songs that were that were on here, a lot of times when you, when you listen to a, a live record, you kind of have like a list of songs that you expect to hear. But, you know, some of these, some of like the uh, the big Bowie 
hits didn't come until after this. You know, there was, uh, you know, some of the uh, the big songs that, uh, you know, you'd hear as like his big top 40 hits didn't come until after 76, uh, late 70s, early 80s. So I thought that was interesting to kind of talk about the, uh, the breakdown of it. Uh, the other thing was you talked about how this album was released, what did you say, in 2016? So it was 2010 was the first time and then uh separately like so that was part of like a box set effectively mm -hmm. and then separately in 2017 so apparently the this record though has been had been floating around since the late 70s yeah. as a bootleg and had just been passed and passed and passed around and apparently there were like seven or eight versions of this bootleg whoa uh, album, you know, to of various qualities. Now, and and some of the stuff was edited and changed for the release that we listened to. Correct me if I'm wrong. I thought the bootleg was from this tour, but not this concert. Does that make apparent? Right? Apparently, it was the actual concert. Whoa! Uh, and be, and the reason why I know that is that there were many reviews that I saw of people that had the original bootleg and compared it to the version that we got. Yeah. Uh, for example, there on the, the song stay, there's a, there's a part where Bowie's voice cracks, like almost like he gets like a frog in his throat and they kind of lower the volume on that, on the, the edited release. So you don't really hear it. Uh, and also in Panic in Detroit, there's an eight-minute drum solo that they took out. Cowards. <laughs> yeah. Put the drum solo in, you cowards. So I thought that was interesting that, uh, you know, this had been floating around for a long time from between Bowie fans as, as a bootleg before it was actually come out. Yeah. And uh, I also think it's interesting that this was in 76, and this was right when, this is when Bowie had moved to L.A. and was really into cocaine. Yeah. Like then why do really? Why do you think he's really so thin? in the in the into cocaine? So and I've got some more stuff too, but I'll uh, I'll weave it in as we talk about it. Okay, that's awesome. Thanks for sharing. Yeah, uh, I only know about David Bowie as like a uh, like a magic archetype. Like he is like the like he's not quite a wizard of you know of rock music from the seventies and eighties. Like that's what I associate. Like that's his era for me is the seventies and eighties. Like. He's pushing, like, psychedelic, but not like Jimi Hendrix psychedelic. But, like, he was pushing rock in one direction. And he was all, like, I know him as an actor. Uh, he's Nikola Tesla in The Prestige. I, we, I haven't watched Labyrinth because I keep waiting to just do it for the podcast. Cause it you seems remind like me of The Babe. Too, the Babe too, with the power. Too weird of a movie to just watch you know for no reason that's the dance, wrong attitude magic dance magic dance you i don't know what i don't know what's happening i don't know why you're saying all this stuff <laughs> the power of voodoo uh, you mentioned that uh, david bowie is a wizard to you um yeah. in your in your eyes i have a little anecdote here uh like i said it was in the middle of the 70s when he was uh really into his cocaine thing and uh he used to keep his urine in the fridge so that quote, no other wizard could use it to enchant me. I mean, it worked. So there you go. You said wizard, and that's what you got. He's uh, 
you're familiar with, you're big, you know who Alan Moore is. I don't know if you're a fan. Mm -hmm. It's not fair to say you're a fan. He, uh, like, definitely prescribes to the whole wizard thing, like, in a very unusually uh, concrete way. Yeah, he wrote Watchmen. He did a bunch of stuff, but yeah, yeah that but that's, that's his most awesome. that's his Thanks. most famous. Uh, he also did like you know Miracle Man and From Hell and uh, The Killing Joke. So like anytime he got in the mix, he's like, "What if I do this?" Like he apparently like Swamp Thing was a like an, a horror uh, mm-hmm. comic, and then he got in there and turned it into like just bizarre mythos and then people are like well i guess this is what we're doing now and like so he's he's that sort of seems like a david bowie thing where it's like he's introduced to something like rock music or cocaine and then he's like what if i do the weirdest thing possible and everybody's just like well everything's changed now we're just going to like this is our new true north this is how we're going to navigate now changes um in a uh like one of the reasons i was intimidated to get into david bowie is are you familiar with wes anderson dan yes he sucks name one (laughs) name two movies you've seen of his uh god i was rushmore one of his oh you would say the worst one did you do that on (laughs) purpose that's the only one that I could think of. Okay. Did he do the that Isle of Dogs one? Yeah, I haven't seen that yet though. Okay, that was all right. So that's that. That's my that's argument. Weird. I mean, it's really weird, but it's, it was okay. Yeah, he's very uh, idiosyncratic. Is the is the professional way to say it? But weird. Yeah, he's weird on purpose. Um, so one of the like uh, big, I found a stumbling block to get into David Bowie is that. In the movie, The Life Aquatic with Steve Zizou, uh, instead of, like, you know, regular uh, background... Is it non-diegetic? Is that the music that's, like, being played over the movie that the characters... I can make up words, too, Mike. (sighs) Try it. Table for kids. You always do table! (laughs) (laughs) It's the first thing I saw. (laughs) A microphonify. <laughs> oh, that's actually pretty good, Dan. That's not bad. That's not bad. Um, hey, hey, can you microphonify this? I'm getting some feedback. I need it on Wednesday. <laughs> um, but anyway, so instead of having like all the music be played in the background as a soundtrack, he had one of his characters playing an acoustic guitar. I believe the actor's name is Sue George in real life. He's playing an acoustic guitar, singing David Bowie songs in Portuguese. And I'm just like, the amount of deep cut this is, is so much so that I'm like, I don't know if I can get down there. Like, it's too deep for me. It seems too abstract of a thing. Because someone had to explain it to me, and I think I had to have it explained twice. I'm like, yeah, it's. I like when he's playing the guitar. They're like, oh, but you know what song that is? I'm like... Well, no, it's in a different language. They're like, no, it's a cover of a song. And then they said the song, I'm like, I don't know what that is either. So it's just, getting, I'm feeling yeah, further and further apart. Layers and layers that you have to peel back. But, so I I regret not being a fan of David Bowie. However, listening to a live album, I think, is a good, like, sampler platter. Like, you literally laid out for us that this was off of 
you know, five, six different albums, some of which you aren't a fan of, but I liked all the songs. <gasps> Am I showing my cards too early, Dan? Oh, no. No, that's okay. Dan! That's okay. I was actually going to ask you next, like, what what were the parts that just in general, without being too specific, but it's your show, you do whatever the hell you want. I'll just add uh, all this out, it's fine. What, what parts uh, of the album did you enjoy, or were there any parts that you... Uh, or any songs in particular that you weren't really digging? Um, I, I just really liked how hard-rocking it was. I, I just... Anytime... I'm always looking for more rock music, and Station to Station came on, like, 70s rock. Like, the 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 gods of old who were, like, you know, building the rock kingdoms. Um, that was awesome. Suffragette City was fun. It reminded me a lot of Bob Seger. Like... I think it's because Nutbush City also has the word city in it and but it's it was just like like the like freneticness was awesome. Um I've probably sung that song a hundred times on rock band, by the way. <laughs> over the years. Uh and then like uh T V C fifteen. The reason I keep bring like reminds me of Sticks and the like the robot like just because like he's a storyteller. Domo. Domo. <laughs> Don't leave oh, him you, hanging. You get, get in take there. a drink? Yeah, okay, you can take a drink. Domo arigato, Mr. Roboto. Domo. Domo. Just when I needed you. <laughs> um, But, like, and then, uh, yeah, Changes was, even though I'd heard it, like, dozens of times before, it because it was being sung live it felt like a little like you got to hear the lyrics for the first time i don't know if that's and then uh diamond dogs was awesome and rebel rebel was um fun they like they really praised gene genie but it felt a little too muddled for me because it was a weird i I put in my notes a weird closing number i thought i kind of thought they should have ended on rebel rebel yeah but i and, uh, or just you know, like a the, more prominent encore song, maybe. I yeah. don't know. But yeah. I really that was that was a little weird. I, I enjoyed it a great deal. Um, those were my standouts. Not that I didn't like the other ones; they just didn't stand out to me as much. Mm-hmm. Like "Word on a Wing" was really nice, but I'm like, eh. I, now that I heard the hard stuff, I wanted, I wanted more of that rock. Uh, for me, the highlight was "Fame." I thought that they they just like the they just knocked that out of the park. I, first of all, I love that song. Um, but I thought that they just knocked it out of the park as far as the energy and the presentation of that. There was a couple so- a couple of songs that really seemed out of place, and the one that really stood stood out to me was "Life on Mars." Like that song didn't go with the the theme or the flow of of this show at all. It's almost like you and I know. You know, a good concert should have its ebbs and flows, but this one like was going 90 miles an hour and then came to a complete stop, got stuck in traffic, and then started going 90 miles an hour again. And it wasn't like you know we're slowing down to 60 and then kicking it back up to 90 and then going down to 50 or whatever. It it seemed a little out of out of place for me. Hey. Uh, I did I did like the cover of uh, Waiting for the Man, the uh, Lou Reed cover. Uh, and apparently, a little note about uh, Bowie and Lou Reed, uh, the song Queen Bitch was written as a tribute to Lou Reed and Velvet Revolver. Oh, that's cool. 
Mm-hmm. Wait, Velvet... so, and those songs were back to back on each other on the uh, the live album. Is Velvet Revolver the name of the album? Uh, Velvet Revolver is the name of Lou Reed's band. But Velvet Revolver is the name of the um oh Chris Wyland and Slash. They did the song for the movie Hulk that you were never a fan of, the Ang Lee one. <laughs> you know who I'm talking about, right? Uh, no. Velvet Revolver. I'm on this. Give me a second. I spelled Revolver wrong, Dan. Uh, Guns N' Roses members, Slash, Duff, and oh, okay. Scott Weiland. But gotcha. it's also Lou Reed band. Oh, I'm sorry, I said Velvet Revolver, Velvet Underground. Okay, that I'm makes a hundred times more sense. Like <laughs> Velvet Underground. Okay. I was thinking, I was thinking of uh, Slash's band, Slash's yeah. super group. It's not that yeah, bad. Velvet Underground. Not I'm that sorry. bad. Okay, that makes way more sense. See, that's another uh, gap in my um, my music uh, history. It so. even says Velvet Underground on my notes here, and I still said Revolver. <laughs> you just, we'll see, we were talking about the Beatles and their album, or yep. their song Revolver got stuck in your head. Uh-huh. That yep. must be it. Okay, um, let's talk about them Beach Boys. Are you ready for the some Beach Boyness? Sure. Um, so the Beach Boys are a, uh, a, their original lineup consisted of brothers Brian Dennis Carl Wilson. Their cousin, Mike Love, and friend, Al Jardine. Is that how you say it? Mm-hmm. Distinguished by their mm-hmm. vocal harmonies, adolescent-oriented themes, and musical ingenuity. You know, those three things that are always going together. The um, three pillars, yeah. They drew on the music of older pop vocal groups. It's like, I'm guessing like Barbershop is what they're talking about? 1950s yeah, I, I mean... rock and roll and black R&B to create their unique sound, and under Brian Wilson's direction, often incorporated classical or jazz elements and unconditional recording techniques in innovative ways. Go ahead, Dan. Yeah, I was, uh, you know, we talked about, like, who the, probably, you know, some of their uh, influences yes. were. It, it, you know, it, I Chuck Berry, of course, because... Uh, Chuck Berry, they they do a Johnny B. Good uh, cover in yes. this, and also uh, uh, Surfing USA actually uses a, a Chuck Berry song. I think "Sweet Little Sixteen is oh. uh, a Chuck Chuck Berry song, and then uh, uh, Brian Wilson used the exact same song and created Surfing USA. So actually, Chuck Berry is credited as a writer on uh, Surfing cool. USA. Wow, yeah. I didn't know that. <laughs> Chuck Berry's like, I did what now? <laughs> Apparently that's their first national hit, too. So good thing, like, they must have had a pretty good lawyer who's just like, just say he, he inspired it. Put him down as a writer. Yeah, I, I think that, you know, we... It's like some of those, uh, you know, groups in the 50s that, uh, like, the my dad always talks about the Ventures, um... Uh, he always talks. I think there was a, a song that they covered on here uh, by the Four Freshmen. Uh, was I think a, it's Graduation Day. Yeah, I think that's that's what it was. I think you're right. Um, and I think that 
that that type of sound uh, is probably where they got like the, the harmony. Because I'm kind of I kind of think of like the Everly Brothers, uh, sort of. Who I think I think one of the Everly Brothers passed away recently, so R.I.P. But uh, you know that that kind of uh, as far as like the the harmonies and the uh, the how do you how would you describe like their harmonies aren't really they're not really soulful they're um i don't know the beach beach boys have a very unique sound that i think has made them so appealing because they don't really sound like a lot of other groups with the way they harmonize yeah so uh you know especially do 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 you know the just the the weird stuff that you don't normally in octaves that you don't normally hear being harmonized. It's it's kind of very unique. Be, and I think, like, a lot of bands can't really rely on that many vocals, you know? Where, like, they're... Like, that's kind of... They're, they're coming from that, like, 1950s, like, we're all talented singers and one guy has a guitar sort of thing. Mm-hmm. So it, it's kind of a, you know, they're, again, like, in a transition period where they decided what pop music was going to be. So I think that's kind of cool. Yeah, it kind of, um, you know, Beach Boys kind of remind me of, like, Frankie Valli and the Four Seasons, because they've got, you know, there'll be a lot of harmonies in the be one guy's like, yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> you know, there's, there's a lot of similarities there. So I'm a big fan of the Coasters, and they're the ones who do uh, Yakety Yak, and, mm-hmm. like, and, you know, it's just like, Man, that guy's voice is so deep, and they're using it for such a weird thing. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah. but um, they also, if you saw, Dan, did you see uh, Grindhouse by Quentin Tarantino and Robert, mm-hmm. Robert Rodriguez? So there's the like a famous scene in there uh, with the Down in Mexico song, where uh, Kurt Russell gets a lap dance and like it sets off this whole killing spree. But anyway. I'm like, man, this song really kicks a lot of ass. And I looked it up. I'm like, oh, I've heard these guys. They did two songs on Tiny Toons. And it was like, <laughs> and it's just like such a weird, like, music from back then fits so weird into what we know of music now. Because these guys were just doing, there were no rules back then. Because like, mm-hmm. you know, Elvis Presley, the Beatles, like, all R&B broke whatever rule, like, you don't have to sing a certain way anymore. And Mm -hmm. the Beach Boys definitely capitalized on that, and were very successful. Yeah, no doubt. I've actually seen the Beach Boys in concert before. What? Uh, It was, I believe, 1990 in St. Louis at what is now Hollywood Casino Amphitheater. Riverport Drive, baby. Yeah, and the reason I remember that is because the next day we left on our uh, Disney World trip to Florida. And uh, I could probably find the the exact date that, that that took place. And I think at that point, like it was like three of the original members, which was kind of a big deal because in recent years, it would usually just be like Mike Love doing the music of the Beach Boys or something like that. Yeah, um, that's what I found. You know, a lot of... Um, they had a really 
weird dynamic between the band members. You know, at at one point, uh, Dennis Wilson and Mike Love had both had restraining orders against each other at the same time. Yeah. But like, dude, I think one of those would probably be sufficient if the other one doesn't want you to be around either. Yeah, if you got you a know. shitty lawyer, it'd be sufficient. <laughs> so I I don't know, man, but the. I've loved the Beach Boys since I was since I was a little kid. You know, my dad had, uh, you know, raised me on you know the the Beatles and and the Beach Boys, and you know I started with the when I was younger the more surfing songs appealed to me more because they were just more fun and catchy, and then as I got older I I really appreciated the the sound that they uh, kind of generated from really this tour for pet sounds going forward and i thought the i thought the album was a was a nice mix like you said you got the you got that medley of, of surf stuff uh you had some cool covers on there uh you even had a beatles cover yeah on there which which i which is one of my favorite beatles songs also you gotta hide your love away uh me and my dad my dad plays that on the guitar and we, we sing that together all the time uh but there was actually, you know, only three songs off of Pet Sounds, which I thought was kind of interesting, because if this is the the the, the album that they're promoting with the tour, why wouldn't they play more? But then when I looked into it more, you know, Pet Sounds was when they really, Brian Wilson, who was writing the majority of their songs, really started to get more artistic and more experimental. And he was doing things in a studio that were really hard to replicate live. Well, that was the whole, uh, the like, huh, we're going to talk about this, but like the banter about good vibrations. Yeah. He's like, this is a hard to play thing. Yes. And actually, uh, Brian Wilson at, at this point was not touring with uh, the group. He was having, that's when he was kind of having his stage fright and you know, social anxiety, even though he, he says to this day that he loves performing live, mm -hmm. but he, he, it stressed him out so much, Sure. but he actually traveled to the show to help them rehearse good vibrations and help them try to get it Yeah. because they were having so much trouble with it's such a it's such a good song, but it has so many different nuances to it that, like, I can't imagine like a local band like trying to cover Good Vibrations. You Although, know? like now, you could just sample. Like, that's true. The instrument and like have that on a keyboard. So right. like, so you wouldn't need to get an actual theremin at the end. I, no, you. I mean, like, if you want to have cred, you have it. You just don't play it. <laughs> You just have Go to it. your local flea market and see if they got a theremin. You're like, hey, I don't think that thing's plugged in. You're like, it's two hundred dollars. <laughs> I I thought that was that just the that that was the big thing that stuck stuck out to me was listening to this. Is like, this is recorded at a freaking crossroads for this group. Like at the, you know, we either evolve or we go away forever. And on top of that, you've got the fact that Good Vibrations was just released as a single like two weeks before this concert. <laughs> so they had, I think this is the first time of Good, Vibra Good Vibrations being released on an album, yeah. in an album format rather than just a, 
a single format. That's crazy. And you can t- and you can tell that they are not super comfortable with it. But they got they got to pump out the you know they got to pump up the single you know yeah. they're not super comfortable with with doing it live though and I can see why because of how you know intricate it is and I think like you can kind of pick up on that they want to move past the stuff that got them famous because they hence, hence the medley <laughs> and like I gotta say that's kind of a good way to like. You know, a lot of empty calories, if you smash them together, it it's very palatable. Because, like, it's yeah. it you're hearing something you've heard a thousand times on the radio a little different, which is, like, that's why you go to concerts, you know? Well, that, sorry, that's why I go to concerts. I want to hear what I know, but, like, special, because I'm showing up, like... Right, because if, if you wanted to just listen to the music, you would just... You know, put on Spotify, which which but, I do, and sometimes you do it going to the concert because you're like, I can't wait because yeah. I, I know what to expect and I can't wait to be surprised. Which is like, I liked both of them having a cover, like you know, and then uh... and that, that's that's part of. And I was going to ask you about that too because, and I, I we'll talk about that with the with our criteria at the end. But that's one of the things I kind of look forward to. Yeah. I'm not a big. I'm not nearly as big of a concert guy as you are, and I'm not nearly. You know, we're both probably one tenth of the concert guy that my dad is. Right. Um, you know, he's been to thousands, like yes. literally thousands. Um, he just went to one uh, just the other night. Actually, he might be at one right now. <laughs> at uh, I think he said somewhere over in Belleville at some you know little bar or something like that. Um, but that's one of the cool things about live shows is that. They could do anything. They could do any song that has ever been recorded. And they might not put it on an album, but they might pull it out for a for a live show. And I think that's really cool. You know, and sometimes the covers are shit. Yeah. But sometimes they're really unique and, and really cool. Have you ever heard like are there any that like come to mind in shows you've been to? Like did Huey Lewis do like a cover of like all along the watchtower. He's like, have like, you heard this one by ODB? <laughs> <laughs> Gotta protect your neck. You're like, Huey, no! Um, man, you put me on the spot. I gotta think about that. That's a good one. I can think of doop, like... Doop, doop, doop. <laughs> That's all I got. My you, that is not all you got, you liar. I want a new drug. When they won't make me sick. <laughs> Your mom's getting really excited. She loves right um, now. She loves, loves Huey Lewis. Um, I but I can think of so uh, I'm a big fan of this. Um, I think they're just folk rock. I don't know what their uh, box is, but they're called the Avid Brothers. And listen to like their albums, like you know, dozens of times. I've seen them in concert four or five times, and everybody knows the words. And the guy is singing them, and like it used to be about, he's it, the song's about murder in the. He's like, if I get murdered in the city, tell my. It's about like a country family, and he's like, I'm gonna go to the city. It's gonna be dangerous. Let my you know sister and my mother know that I love them, and that and it's about like, uh, cause the love of, you know, having the last name is the most important thing, and like he wrote that song 
I don't know, 12, 13 years had gone by, and then we're at this concert, and he's he's like, tell my daughter and my wife that I love them because the most important love is sharing the last name. And we're all like, oh, my God. Like, people, like, were screaming that they were, like, like this this evolution of the song still means something and like so many years later and so like that's instead of reinvention always being a positive thing it's cool where like some things they can play the hits and they still have meaning i think that's really cool and that's what that was and that was before huey lewis came out right uh i don't think so i think it was at the same time so i was sprinting back and forth (laughs) power love it's a curious thing. You're like, oh shit! <laughs> I know that one. He's doing the Back to the Future stuff. <laughs> and I'm wearing the puffy gr- orange vest. <laughs> Marty, we gotta, we gotta go back to the Huey Lewis stage. We gotta go back to the stage. Um, <laughs> no. So I, I'll think about that, Dan. That's a that's a really good question. Can you think of one off the top of your head? Huey, who, Huey Lewis relative, possible? No, I can't think of one off the top of my head. Uh, unfortunately, I oh, you know what? I do. I do have one. Um, when I went to see Paul McCartney in Kansas City, uh, he did a cover of John Lennon's uh, "Give Peace a Chance," which I thought was really, a, really a nice uh, little tribute. Uh, and he did it at the end of he did uh, a song, the song "A Day in the Life." which is a song that he hardly ever, one of my, one of the best Beatles songs of all time, and one that he hardly ever does live, just because it's so, it's almost like it has to be done on an album, you mm-hmm. know, kind of like Good Vibrations. Mm-hmm. But when a part where it, the part in the a Day of the Life where it transitions into like a different tempo on, uh, woke up, got out of bed, dragged a comb across my head, it went into, all we are saying... Is give peace a chance, and they then they went ahead and and did that. I thought that was really a, a cool touch, especially since that was a John Lennon solo song, not a Beatles song. Yeah, that's really cool. I've been to concerts where they do medleys, and um, I'm a big fan of Modest Mouse, and they did like a twenty-minute medley of like three different songs from three different albums. And that was really cool because you're like, you can see like a, a through line, which I, I thought was really cool. So, mm-hmm. but I actually, I, I had been to a concert where they did a cover of uh, Sloop John V, oh, nice. like, which is like one of those, it's, it's literally marked down as like traditional, like that's mm-hmm. what, and because of like, it's one of those old ones. So that's really fun. Those are good. Yeah. I thought that, um. You know, looking at it, it was kind of cool to see the Beach Boys, where it was pretty much all of them. Yeah. Because you know we talked about as the years go on. But before they became Beach Men. <laughs> and the and the Beach Men didn't really like each they other. They hated each other. And, and it seemed here like they you know had you know some decent banter between one another and were and were still having fun before they got jaded by the music business. But you know we talked about how Brian Wilson had. Uh, left the touring group to focus on like songwriting and production because of his stage fright and performance anxiety issues. And uh, I found out that 
Glenn Campbell, the rhinestone cowboy himself, uh, <laughs> took his place for a brief time until Glenn Campbell got too big and too big for the Beach Boys, too big Dan. For the Beach Boys and wanted to do his own shit like a rhinestone cowboy. <laughs> So I thought I thought that was uh, interesting too. Um, I think the Beach Boys. I saw that they're touring now. Like I said, it might just be Mike Lowe. I think it that that's what I saw on Wikipedia. But I think John Stamos is playing drums for him. <laughs> and I and John Stamos apparently has played drums on a lot of Beach Boys tours. That's because of the Full House connection, right, Uncle Jesse? I think I think the there was a connection. Heart? I think the. The, the full house Night thing Rangers? happened because of the Beach Boys connection already. I think he was already like playing with the Beach Boys, and then they, they that that whole thing came up, and yeah. So that's, if you want to go see uh, the Beach Boys and Uncle Jesse, <laughs> uh, if you want to go see a Beach Boy and Uncle Jesse, uh, check uh, Ticketmaster.com. And so I guess like thinking about it realistically. Would I want to see a, a Beach Boy cover band? Hell yeah. So I guess I would want to see what is effectively a Beach Boy and a full band. Like, I would, that would be awesome, you know? You know, yeah. I went and saw uh, recently, before the pandemic, I went and saw uh, the, the Monkees in Air quotes the monkeys and spell it was actually spelled with a y this time just to <laughs> yeah. let you know because unfortunately 50 percent of the band has yeah. passed away yeah. david jv jones and peter torque but i i saw mickey dolans and, and mike nesmith it was only 50 percent of the band but the rest of you know the the backing band was filled in and and those two guys kind of took lead and took turns you know singing and backing each other up and it was fantastic yeah it was so much fun. Yeah. So, yeah, man, you take what you can get. Um, I've, I, now I, I feel like an idiot. Uh, the guy who just, uh, the drummer just passed away from the Stones. Uh, is it Charlie Watts? That's a, yeah, I think that's it. That, uh, you know, the Stones are coming to, to St. Louis as we record here. I think they're coming very soon. I just saw tickets were on sale. And um, and then in the commercial, they have a, you know, a, a tribute to uh, oh, Charlie Watts. That's really just, nice. Just passed away. But, you know, nobody, you know, as to take it back to Queen, nobody lives forever. <laughs> Who wants to live forever? But, uh, you know, you, the music still lives on. And I think as long as there's still some of that connection to, to the original, whether even if it's just one member, it's still pretty cool. Yeah. And I think, like, yes, a live album is not the same as a studio album. Yes, it's not the same as a concert. But, like, it captures... a, It gives the fans a little bit more than either of those. And that's why they... And that's why live albums sell. You that's know? why I buy them. You know, why... why You know, people don't just say, oh, no, I already have all these songs. Yeah. You know, it's a different presentation. It's a different experience, even if you're not actually there. I love listening to, you know, I just listened to uh, uh, a live album the other day when I was just doing work in, downstairs in the basement, and one of my favorite artists, I'm not going to say who it was because it might be my recommendation later on. <laughs> Luda! Uh, 
I just <laughs> I just stumbled upon it and listened to it and I I absolutely loved it. Yeah. So and it was it was different than me just listening to you know putting the Spotify on shuffle and listening to the the greatest hits you know based on how many people have, you know how many millions of people have listened to it. I think that's a that's a good point. A live album is a lot like a like band curated playlist of their own hits in a right. lot of ways. And they're also just like, hey, I'm going to put a couple in there for you. I'm going to put a cover in there. You know, and, like... and I want to put some stuff in there for me too. I want to put stuff that that maybe I and that was one of my things about the the Bowie album is that there weren't a lot of singles on there. Mm-hmm. There was a lot of deep deep cuts. Right. Stuff and that I think he might have just liked it was fun right. to perform. Yeah. And you could see if you if you were a band, let's say you were like a one hit wonder. I hope people, to God one day I would be aha and status. Pe- and people go to your show, you know, at Six Flags or whatever. <laughs> at the old Glory Amphitheater at Six Flags. Or, or, or <laughs> I forgot what that's what it's called. <laughs> <laughs> I think it is, Michael. No, you're a hundred percent right. Oh no. And let's say you are Marky Mark and the Funky Bunch, and you go to the old Glory Amphitheater at Six Flags, and you're playing all this song, all these songs that people don't give two shits about. They just want to hear, feel it, feel it, yeah. feel the vibration, it's good vibrations. You know, it all comes back to the to the Beach Boys. It all comes back <laughs> full circle here. But you're sick of singing that freaking song you have to be so maybe when you do a live album yeah you gotta put the singles you gotta put some of the singles in there yeah but you don't have to just do the singles you know you you're given a different experience and maybe you're doing stuff that you take more pride in maybe it's something that you a song that you wrote when you were going through a certain time in your life and it's it's uh, cathartic to i almost said carthetic (laughs) I just made up a word. You did it. Uh, <laughs> cathartic to uh, to sing that song. So it it I think it's it's cool to, to have a different presentation. Like you said, a curated playlist that's not necessarily the uh, the hits. My friend went to see a musician whose name is Mims, which is an acronym for Music Is My Salvation, and he was famous for the song. Um, I, f- I feel high, or no, I feel something like I'm hot. I'll look it up real quick. Uh, but apparently, this is why I'm hot? That's it, yes. This is why and I'm hot. And the reason I know that is because you got that song right at trivia one night. Yes. <laughs> Here's this why. Here's why. Apparently, he opened his set with This Is Why I'm Hot. Then he did four, five songs. Then he did. This is why I'm hot. The or it's the Oreo cookie. And you know what he did for his encore? Uh, this is why I'm hot. Oh shit! Thirty-six million listens. Next closest, ten million listens. That's a significant drop off. Some would say it's thirty percent. Yeah, those people would be right. I think it's it's wild that you would go see a one-hit wonder. That that boggles my mind. Mm-hmm. And be mad. You're just like, mm-hmm. oh man, I can't wait. Maybe maybe they're good live. Because that's another, that's another conundrum. Like, I have been to concerts where I, I'm like, this opener's awesome. And I'll buy their, you know, their, their CD for like 15 bucks. 
and it's got like six songs on it. I'm like, not one of these is good. And I listen to them, play them live, and none of them are good. So, You're talking about the Baja Men? Uh, I thought it was Baja Men. Am I saying it wrong? Or the Badger Men? Like, play Who Lets the Dogs Out? We are close with it. Play a medley of it in the middle, and then encore it. Sloop John B. (laughs) Play it. I think I saw Everlast once, and he was. uh, They play that one song. He of course had the one big song out. Yeah, you really might know what what it's like. And he played for about a half hour. Every, no, everybody was just kind of piddling around, and then he played that song, and everybody lost their freaking minds. Yeah. And he's probably like, God damn it. <laughs> Guys, I got other stuff, too. That's better. It's better stuff. And they're like, no, no. Better no, than that don't. one song we've heard? That was the concert where Everlast played for a half hour. The freaking Black Crows played for two and a half hours. You don't like the Black Rose? No, hmm. Mike. That's weird. And then Lenny Kravitz played for an hour and a half. Black that's, Crows just would not stop that's playing. A, that's a strange mix right there. Yeah. Huh. Black Crows. Oh, yeah, you're right. Sorry. I was thinking of something else. I was thinking you're... of Counting Crows. That's my bad. I'm sorry. Mr. Jones and me. <laughs> Nailed You're it. like, you don't like Black Crows? No, Mr. Just, Jones? You you love Shrek, so I just thought, you know. <laughs> I like Counting Crows better than the Black Crows. That, yeah. I, Duh. I said it. You have a pulse. That's what I just found out. That's right. All right. All right. Uh, speaking of a pulse, we got to take a quick break. We'll be yeah, back in a second right. to discuss which one of these live albums was better using our criteria. We are back. It's uh, Dan, it's Mike, and we're talking live albums. We got David Bowie's 76 uh, Nassau Coliseum. We got the Beach Boys Graduation Day 1966. We're about to break them down into four categories to determine which one's better. Full stop. Listen to them both. Dan, where do you come down on that advice? Should you listen to both of these albums? Gotta listen to them both. God, it was two two of the greatest musical acts of all time. What the hell? You, what the hell else are you gonna do? In like, you brought up. You already brought this up, but I just want to say like this was a. It wasn't the. This was not like a victory tour for either of them. They were like currently still promoting stuff, which is mm-hmm. when you think of these two, not just because like they are. They're they don't they no longer exist how they are, and like you know David Bowie's passed away and. But, like, and they're never going to be the same, but it's just, like, when you hear Beach Boys or when you hear David Bowie, you're just like, oh, well, they're already in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Like, they are always formed. They they, they sprung from Zeus's head fully formed. And you're like, no, you are currently listening to them transitioning and growing through these live albums, which is crazy. Mm-hmm. Which we didn't do on purpose, but, you know, that just happens when you're good at your job, Dan. Well, I'm glad that, honestly, I'm glad that we picked two artists that I was very familiar with, mm-hmm. 
because normally we we try to not to do that because right. we don't want to have preconceived notions going right. in. But I thought there was at least a little bit of benefit to be familiar, being a little bit familiar with the source material so that we could compare album performance versus live performance and album presentation and, and set choice versus stage presentation and set choice. I thought that was, that was kind of nice to be at least a little informed going in. Yeah. Cause I mean, listening to a live album of somebody you don't know is a whole other beast. Um, right. You're, you're basing, you're basing your opinion of them strictly off that live album. And maybe, maybe that style of music doesn't work live. Yeah. You know, maybe, maybe they don't perform well live. Maybe, you know, I, honestly, I would rather listen to a rap album than see a rap performance. That live. was going to be my example. Except, that makes sense. except that there are like, there are the handful of, I think it's the exception that proves the rule. I think mm-hmm. just because, and I mean, like you can say the same thing with like pop stars, like, you can't, there's no way, like, Miley Cyrus is able to produce the same stuff sh- that they're, like, doing. In, like, Dua Lipa, we watched a whole Song Exploder uh, Netflix episode about her. And, like, the stuff that they do in the studio is algorithmic. Like, they are... Mm-hmm everybody is fine it's a team and it produces a product that is awesome but every every down to every little fraction of every note so like how how are you going to replicate it's that's putting too much burden like Mm -hmm. and it's a good song so i don't want to go and listen to it live and be like ah it was missing something that's not the way i remembered hearing it yeah and so like it's so some of the some of that's set up for failure where it should only be consumed like from a studio but Mm -hmm. there are like some rappers that like when you see them in concert you're like so impressed because you'll go to a a karaoke and some guy's like I'm gonna try this song and he gets like one out of 13 words that this guy's able to spit out in real life and you're like Mm -hmm. this is incredible I heard that my my dad and my brothers went to Bonnaroo a few years ago, and they said that Ken- Kendrick Lamar was amazing. Yeah, he lies. So. He definitely uh, sets himself up as he is. He, he could just be him in a microphone for mm-hmm. like an hour, and you're like, I want to buy that album. And they're like, Oh, we're gonna put some weird stuff in there too. You're like, That's great, but I just need like when you boil it down, you know it's gonna be something else. Mm-hmm. All right, so. Speaking of Kendrick Lamar, re-listenability, Dan. Uh, we always throw this out when we talk about um, albums. It's you can listen. So actually, the first one we ever did, we talked about uh, the Downward Spiral by Nine Inch Nails um, is a masterpiece. But good God, you got to be crazy to you want have to be in, in, You have to be in a hell of a mood. Don't who put, wants to be in a mood like that? Don't put that on repeat. Like no, it's a, no. it's a once a like, you know, maybe it'll put you to sleep, but maybe you won't wake up sort of thing. You like, wake up a, a 
with a t- uh, taste for blood. <laughs> if you're lucky. <laughs> but uh, so just like just because you want to re-listen to it doesn't mean it's the better one. Just because you don't want to re-listen to it doesn't mean it's lacking in quality. Are you ready to start, or should we go through all of them before we start rating? Uh, let's go. Let's go through them. Okay. Um, we also have uh, a common um, phrase shouted at the stage: "Play the hits." <laughs> Play the hits, baby. Uh, going... I shout that at my dad's band all the time. He's like, we're going to do this deep cut from Steve Miller band. Maybe you've heard this one. It's called Josh's Song. Like, nobody has heard that song before. But then and they'll play so... the Decemberists, and you're like, oh, I've heard that before. That's, that's somebody, will, somebody will come up and say, uh, I remember this drunk lady coming up going, "Can you, do you do Maybe I'm Amazed by McCartney? And my dad's like, No. But that's a really good song. <laughs> but then, like, but then they'll pay, play like a Tom Petty banger, you know? Like, yeah. you just gotta mm-hmm. just wait it out, guys. Give just... the crowd what they want, Dad. Nobody wants to hear Josh originals. <laughs> Poor Josh. Uh, <laughs> Dan, talk nice guy. A, talk about um, quality of performance in relation to the peak of the band. Talk about that. This one's going to be tough because both at, when these were recorded, you even kind of alluded to it a second ago. They're both kind of in their primes here. They're both kind of at you know. Some some would say uh, you know, it, depending on you know David Bowie's so strange because it really depends on like what iteration of David Bowie is like your favorite which is kind of like the Beatles too, like which iteration of, do you like the, you know, you think they were more, more genius and rubber soul or revolver or Sergeant Pepper's only hearts club band or let it be or Abbey road. But I think when you think about a live album and when I think about going to see live concerts, I think about all these guys or gals that we listen to, when they're not at their best, when their voices started starting to go, when they don't, when they can't hit the same notes that they used to, and they and they have to, you know, change up the the format of the song and have. I've been to concerts where somebody else has to sing certain parts of the song because they just can't do it anymore. Yeah. And I think that takes a a little bit away from the experience. So, uh, for example, I was telling you before we started recording that Paul McCartney at 70 whatever years old still sings in the same key that he did when he was in you know when the Beatles were in their quote unquote prime and I think Stevie Wonder is maybe just a slight maybe has lost like a little half step but still at his age to be able to present the same way uh, live as he did 40 years ago is is pretty amazing yeah but there's certain people that just you you go see them because they're a nostalgia act but it's not the same man and and sometimes i don't want to say that it's sad but in some cases it might be so i think you know comparing these two acts to at their peak I think is uh, interesting from a live perspective. Well, it's it's a lot like like you just have to come to terms with like reality and mortality when that happens. And like if it's not if it's the Beach Boys singing about like 
you know, picking up girls, you're mm-hmm. just like, God, this is feels like farce. Like it's or Chuck Berry singing about Sweet Little Sixteen. <laughs> and you're like, uh, didn't you have cameras installed in women's like, dude, bathrooms? You're really old. You're a creepy old man. You need to stop. And I think that, like, there's a certain level of play the hits versus, like, self-awareness. And, like, that's when, like, you you adapt a song to show that, like, maybe the message is the same, but the lyrics should change because the singer has changed. And hopefully the audience has either grown with you or you've gotten new members. I don't know. Um, a lot to talk about there. That's, that's great... Great uh, suggestion from Dan for that one. And then, um, last one, this is sort of a, a basket of ideas. Uh, Dan talked a about... Potpourri, if you will. I think it's pronounced potpourri. Um, oh, okay. Dan suggested the right amount of jamming versus not too much or not too little. Um, quality... Oh, <laughs> I also mentioned cool covers, question mark. I threw that idea out. Dan, this is, a, this is an audio medium. Not everybody has Spotify Premium, all right? Uh, I mentioned I I want to include in uh, this category like crowd banter for me that's a big thing on albums but it's even bigger in person it makes you feel like I'm getting a little bit more uh, about these people and sometimes you're like man this guy sucks and then other times you're like wow they're really shy and like I didn't expect that and then you get like people who are witty and people who are creative and people who are funny and you're just like so this guy is an amazing guitar player an awesome singer an amazing lyricist an incredible performer and funny and everybody thinks he's attractive this seems fair like this is great <laughs> just like <laughs> and then um last of all like kind of like do you feel like you're a a concert member do you hear sounds of the crowd do you hear random guys shouting out are people singing along on the recording so i sort of tried to tie these together and i called them concert feels like do you feel like you're there you're getting the vibe of the concert um because to me with like modern recording or in this case like incredibly uh fine-tuned old recordings you have the ability to catch so much from those microphones like you're getting a a fuller experience than just like uh the instruments and the vocals that's where i'm coming at with that um Mm -hmm. yeah it's just kind of you know the criteria the concert experience Mm -hmm. it's kind of like uh uh, we talk when they talk about uh, my wife and I talk about the houses in Harry Potter. It was like, well, the brave ones go here, the yeah. cunning ones go here, the uh, the ones that are full of wisdom and want to learn go here, and then everybody else goes to the Hufflepuff. <laughs> yeah. Everybody else is going to that last category. Yeah. It's a, it's a basket. It's catch all. Mm-hmm. Uh, nice plug, by the way. Uh, Dan uh, has... Sticks and Butterbeer, available on all podcast platforms. Uh, a chapter-by-chapter chapter, uh, discussion of the Harry Potter novels with my lovely wife and I. Check them out. PG-rated, on... so you can listen to it with your kids, unlike this show. PG for pretty good. <laughs> yep. PG-13, pretty good if you're 13. Yep. R, 
rockin'. <laughs> <laughs> Rad. Rad. Uh, yeah, uh, check them out on Facebook. Uh, give them a shout out on there. Uh, send them an email. They'll send you a shirt. So <laughs> very, very simple. Just <laughs> give Dan some love, guys. <laughs> He's the like seventeenth hardest working man in podcasting. Yeah, I so. don't. I don't. I and nobody loves me, so I could use it. Use the positivity. Took a weird turn there. Took a weird turn. Uh, Listen to that downward spiral album after this. <laughs> hey pig. Uh, where do you want to start, Dan? <laughs> Relistenability. All right. Oof. The only, so this is which one do you like more? It's not which one. It's the loser is not the one that's bad. It's which one did you like more? I think I'm gonna go ahead and put that out there because I listened to both of these twice. Once like in the car, just like jamming out, and then the second time like in a quieter space while I was doing chores so I could hear everything. And I'm gonna go with David Bowie. Not because I didn't like the Beach Boys, just because, like, they have a handful of, like, it's strange that they would make an album, they would release a Spotify album that has duplicates on it. That struck Mm -hmm. me as kind of strange. That they would have two different concerts that were different enough that they didn't constantly play the same songs, but that they did have repeats i thought that was interesting and that uh, kind of discouraged me from re-listening to it uh, i'm going with the beach boys just because i think that there was from top to bottom other than maybe papa um mau mau <laughs> which they play twice a, not a song that i i wasn't absolutely um just hanging on every syllable of it. Right. And I think that um, the Bowie album was very entertaining, but I think as far as like sitting down and just like listening to it again, I think the Beach Boys one is easier to consume, despite some of the repeats. Perfect. All right. Uh, you want to do play the hits next? Play the hits, baby. So is this a criticism of them doing, like, extra stuff? Are we being the ignorant fan now where you're like, I just want to hear what I heard on the top 40? Is that it? I think that I think that you have to have – there has to be some semblance of that at, at a live show. If you went to a – you know, a David Bowie show, for example, and he only played the deep tracks, you would probably be pretty upset. So I believe there's historical precedent for this, and I believe it's when Bob Dylan plugged into Electric. Do you remember this? So it didn't happen in our lifetimes, but, like, he lost so many people because they thought he was selling out because he was, like, Mm -hmm. a folk guy. And then he's Mm -hmm. like, well, I'm going to become a rock guy. And for some reason, that's anathema to the folk clan? I don't know. But they were so mad that, like, people, like, walked out and were booing. Mm -hmm. Then he won a Nobel Prize. Yeah. Did you hear that? You're booing a Nobel Prize laureate. Which, like, 
I think if you go to a, if you go to a Dylan concert and boo, you're probably going to boo most things because you're just like, I paid money for something I want him to do. You're like, that's not what a concert is. You're like telling it like that's like commissioning an artist to do something and not liking what they do. You're like, no, your input is that you like them. They're going to create art for you. Like you don't get to boo that. Dan. Uh-huh. Dan. My bad. My bad. Thank you. Um, play the hits. I'm going with the Beach Boys. No question. Me too. Me too. I mean, there like almost every song on there was a, you know, was a hit. It's, and uh, I, I like your mention of like hide your love away, is like. They could have done a deeper cut because they were definitely into the Beatles. It was obvious they were into the Beatles. Uh-huh. So, but they, and maybe that was a deep cut back then. I I yeah. don't have the historical. Yeah, it is. I mean, like, you know, it's not like one of the more prominent Beatles songs. I mean, everything the Beatles did was, was, a, was a top ten hit, it seems like. But, Octopus you know, Garden. If if you ask a hundred people to name a Beatles song, probably none of them would say that one. Yeah, they'd all say Wings songs because that was so popular. <laughs> Band, Band on, on a run. Um. Okay. Well, that was easy. Uh, do you want to talk more about play the hits, or do you think we just we just nailed it and won? I think we got it, man. And and I think I I don't want to misconstrue it as like. Lionel Richie did a tour a few years ago, and the the tour was titled "All the Hits All Night Long." And this oh, dude was like, "Dude, you come to my concert. I'm only gonna play the songs that you know. So you're gonna have a you're gonna get what you want because that is what uh, musical performers probably think that that most." I would say casual concert goers want. Yeah. Not not the hardcore. Not the VIP payers. Right. I think the the casuals though want to hear the songs that they know. And Lionel Richie's like, that's what you're getting. Also, you're like, get everybody sing, everybody dance. There's probably wild romance. When you talk about a casual casual Lionel Richie fan, you're talking about like you know 75% of america like you know I was, like i was going to go higher if you <laughs> if you can talk about somebody who can appreciate sound coming out of a radio that's not talk radio then you probably have a casual Lionel Richie fan yeah if if i start singing hello and you don't start crying you're not an american check your pulse bro <laughs> um isn't me you're looking for <laughs> Um, I get my I think the only thing about play the hits that can be a wrinkle is that. So I haven't experienced this because I wasn't able to afford the tickets because by the time these bands were touring and I could, and I wanted to go to a concert, they become too popular. And so these are anecdotal stories of people who went to the concerts. Red Hot Chili Peppers was touring for in like 2008. And my friend who went said they played for three hours. 
and they didn't play every song they wanted to play because they have too many songs that their fans like. And it's not... And the same thing with Incubus. At a certain point, you just can't play all the hits because there's Rolling not Stones, a... Perfect know, example. You can't do it. Perfect example. Because they're you, so old. You, you, it, would, it would have to be like a 14-hour concert. Yeah. You know, and, like, and they would die. And what de- what determines a hit? Like, is Wild Horses a hit? If it's not, I don't want to go. But then, like, are they not going to play Sympathy for the Devil because it's played too often? You're like... Because that's a perfect example of a song that's overplayed. But if you... I'll listen to the whole song whenever I hear it. And I hear it all the time. You know? Because it's like... a You like hearing it because it's good. And that's what makes it a hit in the first place. So, I don't know. I think Play the Hits can be a... Can be tricky because, like, as a fan... You're like... I didn't hear the 613 songs that I liked by them. And they played a cover... Here's the thing, though. I think, I think the Bowie album could have used a, a couple more. Mm-hmm. There, there was, there was, there was a, a. I don't think. I think there was several that were omissions. Like, if you're gonna put Life on Mars on there, why aren't you doing Space Oddity? Or why aren't you doing Space Oddity instead of Life on Mars? Because it's a much better song. That's a good. Like if, that's a like a fundamental good question. Like not just from like a fan, but just like I want to know what you're thinking. Like, do you think it's a better song? Mm-hmm. Like, were you not paying attention to like record sales or like Nielsen ratings? Is that TV? But it's like I wonder what inspired them to make that decision. Mm-hmm. I I think that you know maybe because Beach Boys have some really good. Uh, deep cuts that yeah. people probably don't know about. Like God only knows. You're like, oh, that's by the Beach Boys. <laughs> like, uh, uh, like one of my favorite Beach Boys songs is Disney Girls, and no, California Girls. Nope, Disney Girls. Surfer Girl. <laughs> nope, nope, Disney Girls. <laughs> I don't see it on here, Dan. Barbara Ann. Yeah, but they didn't. Uh, you know, they went pretty. You know, hit heavy, uh, including you know songs off that off the new album that ended up becoming hits like wouldn't it be nice and sloop john v that were just brand new we they were didn't really know it was going to be a hit yet but i think that the bowie album could have used a few more there was a, a few pretty amazing songs that he had already released i think like you know like heroes didn't come out until like the next year i think um and um you know, like the um, like I'm afraid of Americans album didn't come out until years later. So, so there was a lot of stuff that you know hadn't come out yet, but there was a lot of stuff that had come out yet that probably should have been on the album. That's a good. Ziggy point. just didn't want it. Like they they could have just played the Ziggy Stardust album from front to to back, and I would have I would have just I would have gotten the win immediately. It makes sense. I mean, sometimes you don't want to mess with success, and sometimes. Well, I listened when I went when I saw Stevie Wonder. He played the entire "Songs in the Key of Life" album. Whoa! Uh, you know, two disc album in yeah. order, uh, and then at the end he did, you know, some hits. You know, kind of like a medley of, of some hits. But that was the tour. It was like the whatever anniversary of of that album. So he did that album 
That's a very you know, interesting way to approach it. Is like play an album and then other stuff. Like that, that's a especially with like when you're promoting an album, you're like maybe we shouldn't play the whole thing or maybe we should. Like that's a. I'm glad I never have to make that call because it seems very complicated. Mm-hmm. All right, uh, moving nice on thing? to concert vibes. Mm-hmm. Um, what made you feel like you were there? What made you feel like they weren't? They did the right amount of jamming because, like, a, a good concert would be like we're reading the crowd. Mm-hmm. This drum solo needs to go exactly 40 mm-hmm. seconds more, yeah. or we're gonna lose them. But if we push it to 45 seconds, maybe they're gonna get back in. Who knows? Yeah, it's it is such a, and that's why I, I thought that was interesting to kind of bring that up. I'm glad it kind of all got thrown into one category because it probably didn't have enough to stand on its own but the, the there is a a fine line that you walk with jamming at a at a show and if you go too far you know yeah. east or west of that line yeah. all of a sudden you're fish and you suck fish with a ph know? dan yeah fish with a ph uh uh, an example of I ha- I had is that uh, I saw Parliament Funkadelic once. And this is a good. I love this <laughs> story. Part, Sorry, this story. I didn't have a spit take because it was bourbon. <laughs> I had to keep it in. But I, this is a good story. I saw Parliament Funkadelic once, and we were at the Hollywood Casino Amphitheater, which was known as Riverport Amphitheater at the time, and we were on the lawn. I believe it was the Smoking Grooves tour, so we had. Seen Cypress Hill perform with an enormous bong on stage and, and you know, whatnot. Cypress Hill and Grand and Funkadelic, <laughs> you know. And you know they played all they played all the hits. They played flashlight, neon light. You know they played they played all the all the good stuff. And then they started jamming. And you know you got, got Bootsy like on the bass. You know Bootsy Collins like playing. I think he I think he slapped the bass. And everybody is is. Has got to get their grooving. thirty minutes. They're Everybody's grooving. got to get their thirty minutes of grooving. I mean, it's and contractual. It's like The Rock and Vin Diesel. Everybody can't. Everybody has to win at least as many fights as they lose. Right. You know. Right. And sleeveless tees are a must. But you know, I went with my my dad and my one of my best friends, Ben, and it was it was a long day. It was hot that day. By then, the sun had gone down, but it was a long day and. When the jamming started, Ben decided he was just going to close his eyes for a little bit. When the jamming started? <laughs> and there was this enormous spaceship that was called uh, precariously the perched. Uh, the mothership, of course, because George Clinton is apparently an alien from the planet P-Funk or something like I don't know his backstory, Mike, but it's something like that. Somebody's writing and, Wikipedia. That's all I'm saying. Uh, Wikipedia, I believe he is an alien from like the planet P Funk or Funkalicious or something like that. <laughs> this is all. This is all, all true. All canon. Saying. All real life. And when the jamming starts, the mothership slowly. And I know, I know for the Patreon people, you can see my hands right now. The mothership slowly Not just your starts hands, uh, lowering from from the ceiling of the stage, and. Ever so slowly, this mothership is coming down, and presumably, when it when it finally touches uh, ground on planet Earth, 
the show will come to an end. The P Funk All Stars were will board said ship and sail off to planet uh, Funkadelia or whatever. This the <laughs> it's coming down and they start jamming and it hits about the forty five minute mark and I look at my dad I go what the hell is going on and he's he and shushes you. He, he shushes I'm just me. trying to hear funks, bro. He takes a hit of whatever he's got, or eats a gummy of, of, of some sort, and uh, just says, this is what they do at concerts, apparently. And then we hit the 50-minute mark, and we hit the 55-minute mark. And my buddy Ben wakes up, <laughs> and, you know... Wipes the sleepies out of his eyes and does like the the movie uh, yeah. over exa- over exaggerated yawn and says, "They still haven't landed the damn mothership yet." <laughs> oh man, it's an oldie but a goodie, Dan. I knew I knew what was going to happen the whole time. It had not touched Mother Earth. The mothership had not touched Mother Earth yet. That was too much jamming. So I think you have to have uh, the the right amount. Uh, and I think that contributes to concert feel. I have, uh, when I've experienced uh, rock music live in person, um, I do prefer a drum solo to a guitar riff because it's so much about, like, the drummer is going to do weird stuff that other drummers don't do, where... Unless you're Jimi Hendrix, your guitar riff is going to be good. It's yeah, never going to be. Gonna be it's never yeah. going to be great. And I can't see Jimi Hendrix because I was born in the wrong generation, Dan. You are. Um, but like when I hear a drummer play, so I saw the Black Keys and it's two dudes, and the drummer is like he also sings, but like when he's drumming, you're just like, this is really cool, because like. The, it'll be a solo, but like he'll be being accompanied, which isn't what a solo is. But like it's the it's what I want a jam to be is like they're working it out together, but there's clearly somebody doing what they're doing. But then it's also like he can't keep it up because he's going so crazy, and like mm-hmm. once he like starts to get exhausted, he just goes back to, 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 to and then like the hi hat, you know? Yeah, you gotta catch, catch your breath. Yeah, and so like, and I think that's what it should be is it should be a performance, but it shouldn't be the whole thing. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's what we. But talked you also about talked about like jam. you know like chatter and like crowd interaction yes. and you know stuff like that. A, lot, a big thing with like the McCartney shows is letting the crowd sing the na 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 na. Yeah. You know, and then now I want the, the girls to sing it. And yeah. then it's, you know, a little more melodic. And then the, the guy's singing and it's deeper. And it's, you know, there's. It's like when Outkast. Like you feel like you're there. When Outkast you know? tells all the fellas, you know, and all the Lucy Lou's to do stuff, you know. That's right. What What's cooler Call than. Call response. <laughs> what, what's cooler than being cool? It's ice, it's ice cold. Um. All right, 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 Wait, all right. Wait, right. you know that song? <laughs> Dude, seeing Outkast in concert was bizarre. Yeah, like, but. they had these giant projectors of, like, sexy women silhouettes just constantly being, like, but they were, like, laser women silhouettes just constantly being done on stage and, like, 
Andre 3000 disappeared for a while, came back with a weird hat and said, I just had to go for a walk. And we're like, oh, no. And Big Boy's <laughs> like, oh, no. We're all like, oh, Went no. to the hat store and I bought myself a hat. It was <laughs> like, have you seen that Key and Peele episode where, like, yes. he's dressed as Robin Hood? <laughs> yes. All right. Uh, we're right back on track. Speaking of Robin Hood, which one is stealing our hearts for this one, Dan? Uh, uh, I, want, I want David Bowie. David Bowie. I want, Can you I want David Bowie. disclose to me? Um, I thought that uh, it, it's the the opening uh, number, uh, Station to Station, which is was a draw, you know, probably tri- triple the the length of what the actual song is. But they they worked in a lot of uh, uh, a lot of instrumentation. They worked in a lot of uh, my COVID brain's not thinking of the. Uh, of the uh, the verb right now, but uh, a, a lot of uh, what's uh, spont- spontaneity Ooh. as far as uh, as far as uh, you know filling in those spots in between uh, the different uh, stanzas of the of the song to make it kind of feel like a like a quasi jam session. Uh, I thought that you know the ending was was a little strange a little bit of a strange song to end on but i thought that there was more um there was just the right amount of of jam they didn't go on for too long uh they they didn't do uh you know no i thought there was there was it could have been a little bit there were some spots in the beach boys one where they could have done some more um and the beach boys had like some crowd interaction with like talking to the crowd and, and things like that and you know, kind of, you know, joking around with each other and like, oh, we messed up on that. Let's try it again. And, but it seemed, you know, you actually got to hear like kind of like the rumble of the crowd in the David Bowie, uh, I almost said CD, in the David Bowie album. You, yeah, you compact disc. Like that, that, that dull roar was always kind of there. And then it would come up at times and go down at times. And, you know, there were, I thought that it had more of a, a, a live feel to it. Whereas the Beach Boys one, I mean, it's a lot of times, if you were listening to it and didn't know, there was a lot of parts of the song where it just sounded like a, you know, studio album. Because and credit to them because they sound so good, but it kind of takes you out of the the live feel from time to time. Perfect, great, de- great defense. Um, there's no way that you could say the Beach Boys jammed at all. I think there was zero jamming. I think they kept it tight because that this was like their 40th stop on like a 200 day tour. you know what i mean like there wasn't a thing out of place um i really liked all of the banter because you got a little bit behind the scenes you could see that they're just like we don't want to play ronda we don't want to play surfer like no they like surfer girl they're like this was our first song that we considered good and then like uh and then you saw their trepidation where they're just like we're gonna play you something new and we're nervous about it because you're hammered you just Mm -hmm. saw a football game it's homecoming we're about to like become one of the best like most like experimental bands of all time 
but we're playing to college students in Michigan. And we're mm-hmm. only singing about surfing. So, like, I got a lot more backstory, I think, from them. So I'm giving it to them. Of course, the jamming in uh, Station to Station, that's all you need if it was just a jamming thing. But I didn't feel like there was... He only... David Bowie only talked to the crowd once or twice, and it seemed like... Now, some of this, um, actually, he... I don't... Did you read this? I gotta read It's, like, too messed up for me to just try and do it anecdotally. I have to read it. Um, at the start of all their concerts, he would, like, show a video by... Man, I guess I didn't include it. Um, it was like this weird, uh, surrealist video by this one dude in Salvador Dali of like a lady's eye getting cut with a razor, but it's like an art piece. But they would film that, like, apropos of nothing. Like there would be no, like a projector would come up show that, and then David Bowie would kick on stage and he'd start playing guitar and singing, and everybody's just like, what's happening? <laughs> and so, like, when you asked, like, why would they do uh, the Mars song versus the Oddity song, it's like, there might have been a visual component that isn't being captured, you know? And, like, that's... I don't think that... That's David Bowie saying F you to everybody for not coming on a show. He's just like, you are rewarded if you do because this is a this is a singular experience that can only be captured once for this crowd. That kind of seems like that's that's the kind of that's what I'm getting emanating from him and his persona is like art is a one time experience, but hey, brother's gotta eat, so I gotta sell. So that's why like I thought the Beach Boys thing like the banter, the the crowd interaction when he's like, "Hey, I heard you won a football game today." I'm just like, "Oh man, this is I'm getting this is kind of uncomfortable." <laughs> like, um, all right, split on that down to quality of performance in relation to the peak of the band. Um, I feel I always, I, I want to bring up Malcolm Gladwell. Just because he's been in the news for being a, you know, a disgusting pervert. But also, like, whenever anybody tries to reference him, it's always in, like, well, you know, according to Malcolm Gladwell in this one book, you have to practice for 10,000 hours before you're good at anything. And he's like, look at the Beatles and the White Album. And I'm just like, so you're talking about a band being good when, like, their first couple singles became worldwide hits like i want to hold your hand may not be good but it be made them famous and their haircut you know like those are the two things haircuts uh i think they all wore the same suit and the british accent and i want to hold your hand those are like that's the the quattrofecta that made the beatles famous and so you're like maybe they're they weren't good yet but I think it's bullshit to say that the White Album was the first time they were great. Because, like, you can't say they were bad all the other, you know, top singles. So it's like, the Beach Boys were good when they were doing 
their beach surfer stuff, they just might not have thought they were good. And like mm-hmm. that doesn't mean Pet Sounds is bad. I don't know. It, it's a tough call, and I I'm frustrated when people are like, oh well, this is when they became good. You're like, yeah, but like old st- like so much of the Beatles stuff is good. So much of the Beach Boys stuff is good. So much of David Bowie pre this one reincarnation are good. So like good and then peak, I think is a struggle. So what do you think peak is, Dan? I think of it more in a in a, a you know a physical uh, presentation as far as you know not I you know I mentioned like not losing a step earlier, still being able to to hit those high notes, still being able to uh, you know perform. Uh, you know I I know we couldn't like see them visually, but you know. Mick Jagger, for the fact that he's like pushing eighty, still runs around and jumps around, you know, like a dickhead, you know, for <laughs> three hours. Are so. you saying he has moves like Jagger? I think uh, he's. I think he's doing a lot of that brown sugar in order to, you know, get all that energy. But <laughs> I told you, Dave, so good. Because it's drugs. It, of course, it makes you feel good. We're gonna call a song, Mister Brownstone, and. Meanwhile, Mick Jagger's just like, you have to be more subtle. (laughs) (laughs) He's listening to these rap songs where they're talking about doing Robitussin and Sprite. And he's just like, you have to be more subtle. They're like, what if we call it Dirty Sprite? And he's like, God damn. Gotta be more subtle. (laughs) I don't like it. It's called Cockney Accent. Maybe you heard of it. Um, I... I think as far as, uh, you know... So you're talking you, about you, peak as in, like, prowess, like, yes. musical talent yes. to try new things, not just to be financially yes. and popular. I think yes, that absolutely. that's a better explanation, because, like, good is too subjective, but, like, talented is not. Like, just well, because you can well. make people happy with a song doesn't mean you're good at writing songs because a team you could just that's the whole thing with like somebody wrote the song for you and you sang it is different from you writing something that you know is gonna be good and people like it because it's good to use the beach boys as a perfect example probably the most well-known beach boys song ever in the history of music is kokomo which wasn't on here and it's that didn't come out till like eighty seven. No, that's not true, is it? I swear to, I swear that's... it is in the eighties. And that's everybody's like, oh, "What's your favorite Beach Boys song?" And they're like, "Kokomo." And I'm like, "That's maybe the worst song they've ever made." Like, what Nick, about Little Saint Nick? I would put Little Saint Nick. Ooh, Little Saint Nick. No, you're right. I love Saint that. Nick, little okay. Saint Nick. Run, run, reindeer. <laughs> See, you like that. I but, like them all. That's the issue. Play yeah, the hits. But you, but but your you your opinion means nothing because if I started going Aruba, Jamaica, ooh, I wanna take. You're like, <laughs> okay, maybe that's your talent. Maybe you're at peak, <laughs> and you're like a large celestial body, and I just hold on. I, oh, I gotta around. see when Kokomo came out. <laughs> 
<laughs> Wait, you said you were so sure. If I'm, you say I'm 64, sure, I'm, I'm blowing up this podcast. If you 1988. Say That's later than you said. <laughs> 1988. Wait. And I'm like, guys, Wait. like so the, the re- Beach Boys were not at their peak are in 1988. trying to like recapture? Because like the song itself is like definitely not. I mean, it, it's surfer mentality, but not surfer sound. So it was, uh, to bring it back to Tom Cruise earlier, it was released uh, with the movie Cocktail. Dude, that so movie sucks. The, Did you see that movie? The cocktail, and you know you know what? That Beach Boys song sucks, too. But everybody thinks it's great just because they know the words to it. Maybe, yeah. Maybe that's, hmm. I'm not ready for that. By the way, I'm going with the Beach Boys on this one because I thought they sounded fan-freaking-tastic. Bowie sounded great, too, but, you know, I... Like I said earlier, he he was in the middle of the the big cocaine thing here, and I think that, you know, there... Yeah... Yeah, a lot of a lot of people will say like, yeah, well, rock and rollers—they're all on drugs. Yeah, but that doesn't mean they're like, they're, you know, on the road with a full tank. You know, it doesn't mean that all pistons are firing. It means that they're so freaking talented that despite the drugs, they can you know still perform at a high level. You know, uh, there, there was a whole there was a whole 15-year run of the Beatles where where that was the case. High level. <laughs> no, like that's the story of. But I thought I thought the Beach Boys were just sounded perfect. That's the famous story of uh, Carlos Santana was playing his guitar at Woodstock, and he thought there was a snake on it, and like. Then he really started shredding. He played so good, like that doesn't. What, man? If that's you gave me what of a badass he is. If you gave me a guitar. If you gave me a guitar and you said, if you play bad, we're going to put a snake on here, I'd, I'd just give up. Like, I'm like, I'm, there's no way I could do that. And he's like, I'm so high, I'm still playing good. Like, yeah. It's like him and the snake were one. And he, like, he drew power from the serpent. <laughs> that makes sense. To shred at Woodstock. And then he did Smooth. And yeah. then that one song with Vanessa Carlton? What was the one uh, from the sound of the guitar played by Carlos Santana? <laughs> okay, sing that again. I'm going to put it into Shazam. All right. What song is this? Stop the looting. Stop the shooting. Pickpocket on the corner. <laughs> Maria, Maria. She reminded me of a West Side Story. Growing up in Spanish Harlem. Asshole. <laughs> Siri's such a jerk. Reminds me of a West. Oh. Oh no. Maria Maria uh, yeah. featuring the product G and B. What? Swing and a miss. <laughs> it looks like Wyclef in the video I'm seeing here. No. Was that another one of Wyclef's side projects? It'd have to be a W. Uh, it says the song was produced by Wyclef Jean and Jerry Duplessis. It says G&B over here. Yeah. Yeah, it says yeah, featuring the product G&B. Um, 
they were associated with Wyclef Jean's The Refugee Camp. The, the Fugees? <laughs> the Refugee Camp. Um, at some point, we're going to have to dive into what happened to uh, Lauren Hill and the Fugees. That's that's a whole... I don't know. That might have to be like a like a three-month exhibition. There's Like, like there's BBH1 just, behind the music. <laughs> or just we just watched that... They have to already have done this. We can't be the only ones who thought of this. Mm -hmm. All right, I'm biding my time because, like, uh, I think, like, it's unfair because, like, I don't know what David Bowie's album sounds like, but I really liked his live album. But I know what the Beach Boys sound like, and I really like their album. Also, the Beach Boys have already won, so I'm going to... I'll throw it to David Bowie just because, like, I thought... I, I really liked... I really like the quality of performance because in my mind, um, I never knew he was going to rock this hard and I just set it up as like, and when he played the weird songs, they were weird. And like, you heard him do the scales from like the highest octave to the lowest bass. And you're like, it's pretty awesome. Like this guy, you were just going to get ground control to major Tom. Yeah. I thought it, cause like that's, that could be a whole album because, like, people put out whole albums of that now, and it Take sucks. Take your protein pills and put your helmet on. It's just like, hey, we're going to do Rocket Man, but weird. And I'm like, didn't somebody already do that, but much more better than you? And they're like, oh, yeah, yeah, we know. I, I, I would have liked to hear Moon Age Daydream, by the way, so just just throwing that out Play there. Play the hits, bro. Yeah. Play the hits. Maybe Starman. Like I said, just the Ziggy Stardust album. <laughs> Play the hits. Dan's just standing in the front I'm row. Listen to that album right after this. I think. <laughs> um. Okay. So the Beach Boys won uh, our live album tribute game. Uh, not because they're the best live album ever, just because like they literally checked all the boxes. Like they're doing what they're supposed to be doing. They're not messing around. They're providing a solid Spotify digital listen 50 years later because that's what they started releasing these live albums for on their 50th anniversary they're releasing a digital copy of these concerts so we're doing our recommendations in the final segment is yes, that right sir. yeah we're gonna take throw a, a couple of uh, little uh fun facts for no and tell at you before we do that if you didn't it wouldn't be a dan, a dan featured podcast uh, my my last one for the Beach Boys is to if you have not seen the movie Love and Mercy, I with not. John with John Cusack as Brian Wilson, it is really really good. I mean I think it's like a eighty six percent on the tomato meter. Holy but, cow, that's certified but, fresh. And I uh it it really shows like Brian Wilson's like stuff with his like stage anxiety but then like the odd and controlling relationship i know like the free britney thing is going on right now with our conservatorship he had a similar thing with this with this uh psychotherapist of his dr eugene landy who kept basically kept brian wilson drugged 24 hours a day and kept him under 24 hour surveillance and eventually became like the controller of his estate and said that it, it was it was about this this woman uh who he meets at a restaurant Brian Wilson meets and ends up kind of saving his life and he ends up marrying her. Uh, but spoilers doctor was, was pre- preventing him from, from seeing this woman. And this doctor even ended up getting songwriting credits on, on some stuff. 
because of how much control he had. Um, it's got Paul Giamatti plays the doctor. Yeah, he does. So oh, good. Elizabeth Elizabeth Banks plays the uh, the love interest. Oh, so this is recent. This is recent. Yeah. Whoa. And John Cus- uh Love and Mercy. I I totally uh, recommend that. And then for David Bowie. Wait a second. Uh, I need I need to bring this up. Uh, you mentioned song credits. Do we want to talk about the Beach Boys connection to the Charles Manson family? It is uh, it is is brought up a little bit in the uh, in the Love and Mercy, but uh, that was more of a. I'll just put it in the show notes. It's fine. That, and that was more of a Dennis Wilson thing. Hey man, Wilsons uh, be Wilsons. That's all I'm Dennis saying. Dennis Wilson apparently used to pick up random hitchhikers to take back to uh to party with yeah, pick up random hitchhikers to surfer. party with it's surfer life bro always a great idea surfer and life. one day he brought back a couple of girls who happened to be followers of this guru named charles manson and charles manson showed up at dennis wilson's house with a van full of people and they moved in uh, as the story goes, uh, Dennis Wilson says are, he sees the scraggly-looking guy come up, and he says, "Are you here to hurt me?" And he sa- and Charles Manson says, "What what would give you any indication of that?" And and gets down on his hands and knees and kisses the feet of Dennis Wilson, and and Charles Manson and like these ten people move in with Dennis Wilson, and. Dennis Wilson of the Beach Boys is living with this budding musician named yeah. Charles Manson who wants to get a record deal. Yeah. And when he doesn't get a record deal, he go, he sends his minions to the house to kill the record producer. And this kind of plays out in the movie Once Upon a Time in Hollywood that just came out. So, yeah. all, you know, we're, we're pulling from all different genres yeah. here. Uh, that music producer doesn't live there anymore and a bunch of the wrong people got killed and then uh a bunch not that there's like the right people to get killed <laughs> but uh nice yeah, Charles, Charles Manson uh had a big connection to uh, the Beach Boys there for a while Gross. so uh watch Love and Mercy watch Once Upon a Time in Hollywood <laughs> there's really puts uh, good vibrations in a different context yeah Okay, and, please share with us your David Bowie know and tell. I can't uh, wait. David Bowie There's in September, so much. In September of 1996 was the first major artist to release a single via internet download. No. 19 September 1996, first major artist. And uh, it was the song Telling Lies, and it took 11 minutes to download at the time because of internet speed. That's still, like, pretty reasonable for, like, <laughs> three minutes. Like, in 1996? 1996. Putting that in context, that's like, we did typing class in 2000. Like, 1996 is, like, Mac. Like, green, big Apple computers. We, wow. we had... When I was in school in 1996, I was a sophomore in high school... We had one computer in the whole school that got the internet, and it was dial-up. And you had to sign up for a time to go to the computer lab and get on that one computer and dial up the internet just so you could, you know, go to yahoo.com. Pronounce Yahoo, but that's fine. Um... Uh, and then a couple years later, my last fact is that David Bowie 
launched his own internet service provider to go head to head with AOL called BowieNet. Yes. And for uh, 19.95 a month, you got dial-up internet. You got an at David Bowie email address at davidbowie.com email address because davidbowie.com was the uh, automatic homepage for BowieNet. And uh, you got like I think it said you got five gigs of storage to you know, to make the experience your own or something like, I guess it's like making your MySpace page uh, the best, you know, you could. What was the and year the, again uh, that this uh, was? 19, 1998. And then also David Bowie would do, would host like uh, online chats and things like that. And I forget, I think Sailor, you said Sailor earlier. Sailor might've been his screen name. Uh, I forgot. I didn't write it down. But he would host like online chats, and that was it. Was kind of the one of the articles I I read said it was kind of the precursor to social media. So David Bowie was a visionary in not just the music realm, Mike, but the uh, technology realm as well. So I did our inflation calculator for 1998, uh, twenty dollars, and I was going to say that it's like fifty dollars or a hundred dollars, but it's only like thirty three bucks. But like, okay. also to just have an at BowieNet.com. At DavidBowie.com was the email. So you could be Mike at DavidBowie.com. I'd have to be Mike 4 or something, but like, yeah. it'd still be like... It depends on how early you get in, man. You know what's way cooler is um having an SBCGlobal.net. <laughs> it's like, hey, you're a dinosaur, and... You're very disconnected from reality. Where somebody's like at CompuServe. Yeah, <laughs> no one's gonna hack an at David Bowie dot net account. If anything, they're just like, we're gonna take you all, take you off all of our like subscribe lists. We're just gonna like send you like coupons. Like you're too cool to spam. That's a lot. Thanks for sharing those things. Those that's I'll some that's some wild trivia you got there. I try to I try to bring I try to come uh, hard in the paint. I don't know if you're supposed to come hard in the paint. I think you're supposed to go hard in the paint. Too late. Go hard, go home. I, I went too hard and then I came hard in the paint. Awkward silence. Okay, perfect. Um, we'll be back in just a minute with some recommendations and hopefully Dan will um, plug some stuff appropriately this time. We'll see. Who knows? Who knows? All right, we are back. Time to close it up. Dan is going to give us a recommendation. I'll give you a recommendation. Dan's going to plug his other podcasts, and then we'll bid you a sweet farewell. Dan, what's a live album that you would recommend to our listeners? Well, it would be that one I listened to the other day that I didn't want to say. Uh, it Call is that a callback Stevie Wonder's in my Stevie Wonder's 1995 Natural Wonder live album. Uh, it was recorded in Osaka, Japan, and, and uh, was released this, uh, November 21st, 1995. And it is a two-disc set, uh, a very nice mix of the classic hits. There's like four songs that had never been heard before including the song that, that opens, Dancing to the Rhythm, that had never been 
heard before at all. And uh, it was a nice mix of newer stuff, older stuff, and then brand new stuff. Uh, and then I've seen Steve be live before. He's amazing. And this is 1995. He, uh, you know, was even more amazing back then. But uh, this was actually his, uh, you know, the last album that he put out until 2005. So there was like a 10-year gap until oh, wow. uh, A Time to Love came out. So it was, uh, you know, a lot of people thought it was kind of kind of be his last hurrah uh, but he had a really good album come out in 2005 as well. But, but I, I highly, highly suggest it for if you are a fan or if you want to be a fan, it kind of gives you a little bit of everything. Um, that's, I, that's an awesome recommendation. I really like how you brought up it was a double album. When we were look, when I was looking through Beach Boy live albums, the first four, like, uh, on the list were over five hours long what does that mean how can that like a double double album makes sense to me but what could what could you possibly hear for five hours there's some of the beach boy songs are like a minute and 15 seconds what are they doing um so uh i um recently a band i like was recommended to me on Spotify's whatever, like, hey, Dashboard, um, because they recently put out a uh, live album in Georgia. So the name of the band is uh, Rainbow Kitten Surprise, and I saw them in concert at um, Lufest before Lufest had to go away because nobody knows how to handle money. So this was in Athens, Georgia. Um, it's was released in 2021 it's an hour and a half of 25 songs it captures their like energy the crowd is cheering when they hear them come on stage they cheer when they know what song it is they sing along the um singer like points the microphone out does the call and response it's like it's all that and like i know all of the they're playing all the hits from like four or five different albums and the energy is such that like even if they're playing like a slow or melodic or like contemplative song you're getting all this extra stuff because everybody is just so excited to be there and um it takes like it it sort of elevates it into that like rock genre because they're sort of like you know they're progressive they're like uh they do a lot of good stuff with harmonies they do a lot of interesting stuff with um like different instrumentation but fundamentally they are a like their lead singer is like the the vocal focused band and like you really see that he has the pipes for it and it's really a great experience to hear what he can do live because like He's giving you what he's doing in the studio, but then he'll do sort of like a vocal jam or like they'll let like the guitar take over a little bit and then they'll transition into a different song and like the crowd will pick up on it and they'll be really excited. So it's a lot of fun. Um, Dan, I'm sure you'd like it. You're a big Rainbow RKS fan, right? Dan, um, are you still there? Dan? R- R- RKS, that was the uh, the That's old uh, like movie studio, right? Yeah, yeah it's RKO. <laughs> um, 
I'll, like every time Dan tries to give me shit that about a band that he doesn't like because they were formed or performed after 1994, I'm just like, hey man, why don't you listen to this? And he's like, he's like, oh, I heard Perp Smoke died, and I'm like, <laughs> I'm like, yeah, but check out this one song. He's like, that's not bad. No, like bad. that's my I mean, argument. I just don't need you to. I've heard worse. Yeah, that's what I'm that, saying. That's the whole argument for any any music that's come out come out after Biggie and Pac died. Yeah. Not bad. That's the that's the uh, the echelon we're shooting for here. Is that it's not shooting bad. for? Yeah. Rest, yeah. R.I.P. Rest in peace, Kings. Um, okay, so that's it. Live albums. We've done this before, you and me, uh, about live albums because we had to listen to that. Um, it wasn't N.W.E.A. Uh, who did we listen to? And it was a live rap album, and it was awful. Do you remember? Oh, it was. Oh, it wasn't the um, Bust a Move guy, was it? <laughs> was it Young MC? Was it? No, that was the best of. Okay. And it was then actually I, I have no it idea. was it was a full album because he only did one album, but it had fewer songs on it than the original right. album. Uh, I'll find it. It's in our it's in our feed. It's deep down there. It's like episode twelve or something. Dig into the feed, baby. Don't don't listen to Dan. Don't do it. But anyway, in there. Uh, we've done it before. I've done it with other people before. But every time we do live albums, it's a lot of fun because it's so different. Like, and there's so much there. Uh, Dan, you gave great insight, uh, great anecdotes. Always a pleasure to have you. Oh my God, thank you. If you're not listening to Dan on this podcast, Dan, where can other people get those sweet dulcet tones? Teach uh, them for, stuff. For the, uh, the PG, Dan, you can check out Roomsticks and Butterbeer, which is a chapter-by-chapter chapter Harry Potter podcast that I'm reading the books for the first time. My wife's read them for like 100 times. And uh, that's uh, available on all podcast platforms. Uh, I also do Pro Wrestling. For ProWrestling.com, and I do something called the Rhino Wrestling Review. That's on all pod- podcast platforms. Currently, five episodes into the history of women's wrestling, which I know Mike is really into. And then uh, I'm also on another podcast pretty regularly, uh, STF Underground, which is more like a, a current events pro wrestling thing, which is also through ProWrestling.com and all podcast platforms. So. Wrestling, Harry Potter, and then whatever we're talking about on here. I'm a, I'm a busy bee. So, Dan, what would you say everybody should listen to if they're going to get in? Like, where should they pick up in one of those podcasts? Like, do they have to start at episode one, like this podcast? So, my, my personal wrestling show, the Rhino Wrestling Review, has kind of evolved where I was doing more current event stuff and like reviewing shows and things like that. And I just wasn't having much fun with it. Because it was, it was homework like, instead of passion. And, and because wrestling is the worst. <gasps> and there's also that. But, uh, Daniel. It, it did. It felt like I had to like come out with, I had to come out with content to stay current. And now I'm doing more of like retrospective stuff and I'm able to like research and the research part is, is fun. And, you know, shorter, more digestible episodes, like 30 minutes, 40 minutes, rather than two hours of me rambling on about why Brock Lesnar shouldn't have lost on Monday night, you know? And then I immediately feel, I immediately want to listen to Nine Inch Nails' album and 
uh, you know, going to a deep depression. Finish so, it off. I get it. Makes sense. Uh, like I said, I've, I'm, you know, doing like, I'm probably, it's probably going to end up being like a seven or eight part thing on this history of women's wrestling. So you could go back and start like part one of that and, you know, get like a little, um, like almost like a little band of brothers miniseries <laughs> that you uh, know exactly what's going on from the beginning. So I just, I, I say just dig down in that feed, baby. There you go. Well, thank you so much for being here. Uh, Dan, you're always welcome. You're always a great guest and a good friend or whatever. Mm-hmm, um, all that stuff. This has been Comparing Apples to Oranges. We've got a lot of good stuff out there for you. Um, this has been Mike. I'm Dan. And we'll catch you next time. Bye. Bye. Well, there you go. That's Kokomo. Kind of a disappointment. I was expecting it to be funnier or better or something. Oh, well, Dan was right. Thanks for listening. This has been episode 66 of the podcast. We, we liked making it. We hope you enjoyed listening to it. Uh, that blogger site is up to date with all of your past episodes of the podcast. Go ahead and check that out at the Cato, C-A-T-O, podcast.blogspot.com. A um, couple of uh, fun trailers and videos in the show notes. Go ahead and check those out at the bottom. Comments, ideas for future episodes of the podcast, send it to us at, on Twitter, it's at the Cato Podcast, all one word, or email us at CatoPodcast at gmail.com. The intro, outro, and music bed music was the song Thumbs Up by the great artist named Leisure B. Go ahead and look him up at humanworkshop.com. Thanks for listening. We'll catch you next month. Bye.